Take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. I distinctively remember the Sunday evening that we drove from Hartsville, South Carolina to Darlington, where my mother grew up, to attend the Pentecostal Holiness Church that she attended. Now, my mom grew up in that church, but she married a, a man who, after a, a stint in the Marines, became a Baptist preacher. And so we were going for a special service, and my mom felt like she needed to prep me. She needed to prepare me. So she, she was telling me, hey, you might see some things you haven't seen. Or you might hear some things you, you haven't heard. And I, I remember just kind of looking at her and wondering what she was talking about, and, and, and she was telling me, well, you know, they worship a, a little differently than we do. And I don't think she outright said it, but she was preparing me to experience what would be described as speaking in tongues. And um, here's what I remember from that evening. Nothing eventful. <laughs> I mean, it was like, after all, it's like being told this is a great movie, and then you go in, and it's like a dud. I mean, it wasn't anything that spectacular or exciting, and I, I didn't experience uh, what she had advised me about. She told me, by the way, here's what you do. Whatever you hear, you just sit down and be quiet. <laughs> so I did my part. Um, I do remember this, though. I remember as a child understanding from that moment uh, that well-meaning, Bible-believing, Jesus-honoring people can express their faith in different ways. And it doesn't have to be a big disagreement or, or a big division. And, and that only grew as, as I grew and as I matured and, and I went off to college and, and met people from around the country. I went to seminary and met people from around the world. And then I pastored in different cities and, and then I traveled to different countries and and I realize that, that God is at work all around us, and, and sometimes He's expressing Himself in different ways, always consistent with His Word, uh, but I, I just have, have learned and cemented that truth in my mind that, that well-meaning, Bible-believing, Jesus-honoring people, you know, can come about their worship of the Lord in a little different ways. And, and so, really, as I begin to study the Bible, I recognize what that means is there are some issues that are kind of first-tier issues, and there are other issues that are, are second- or third-tier issues. And on those first-tier issues, we've, we've got to agree if we're going to walk hand-in-hand, hand, but on those other issues, we have a little room. You might think of them as, as closed-fisted issues and open-handed issues. So there's some closed-fisted issues, like uh, Jesus is the only way for a person to be saved. That's, you know, we're not going to debate that. We're not going to talk whether or not that's true. I mean, that's, a, that's an issue. If, if you're going to walk as a part of the Christian faith, you've got to accept that. Here's another one. Uh, Jesus was born of a virgin. He, he lived a sinless life, and yet he died a criminal's death on the cross for our sins. He was buried, and then three days later, he arose, right? That's, that's an issue I'm, I'm going to go to my grave with. I'm not, there's not really room for disagreement on that issue in the faith. Here's another one. I love this one. Jesus, who, who came and was born in a virgin, and he died, and he was buried, and he rose again. He's coming again. He's coming again. And man, Scripture teaches that, and that's worth celebrating, and we're not going to disagree about it. But, but when's he coming it's kind of one of those open-handed issues, isn't it? 
We can, we can have a little room for discussion there because the Bible doesn't explicitly say it. We know some of the signs of the times. We, we know some of the things we might look for. But we face that a little more open-handedly. We're kind. We're, we're compassionate. We love one another as we talk about these things. Sometimes we just embrace the reality. Yep, there's a God, but I'm just Paul. There's a God, but you're not God. You, he has his job, and, and we have ours. Ours is to, to follow his commands, to, to do his will, to honor his name. But sometimes we don't have to understand everything, right? It gets a little tricky. Like the Bible teaches about the sovereignty of God. God is sovereign. He, he knows everything, and it uses words like this. He says, you were elected, and, and you were predestined for your salvation. And the same Bible... <laughs> says, uh, whosoever will can come to him. And it tells us that we're created in the image of God with a freedom of our will. How do those two work together? I don't know. There's a God, but I'm just Paul. Right? So I embrace some of that mystery. And in our faith journey, we get in trouble when we, we begin to make absolute convictional stances and, and we draw lines and, and we argue and divide over some of these issues that may, may just not be crystal clear in Scripture. We forget that well-meaning, Bible-believing, Jesus-honoring people may come to a different point of understanding. doesn't mean we ignore these things, right? And so today we're going to tackle one of those. And, and, and I've tried to set this up because I need you to understand that we may walk away with a different understanding of this because we've got all kinds of things that have, have formed our understanding of this topic. But it's a, a scriptural topic. So we can't ignore it. Or we'll be like the people I read about yesterday morning in my, my time in God's Word. I'm just going through the Bible. And I was in Matthew 22. And what a great chapter because it begins. The Pharisees are trying to, they're trying to trick Jesus again and again and again and again and again. And so they first come to him and they pull a coin out of their pocket and they say, you know, they want us to give our money to the government. What do you think? And Jesus says, let me see the coin. And he says, who's, who's on that coin? And they say, Caesar. And then he says, you know it, render to Caesar that which is Caesar's. And then the end of the chapter, man, they're ready to stump them because there's 13,000 laws that they've come up from the original 10. They've kind of broken them down. Now there's 13,000 laws. And they say, Jesus, What's the most important law? And you know, it, he, he didn't even hiccup. He's like, uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love God passionately. Love others intentionally. Right? But in the middle of that, there's this crazy story. The Pharisees come to him and they say, all right, Moses told us, in other words, according to the law, if, if a man dies and he has a brother, his brother is to marry the widow and take care of her. But let's just suppose there were seven brothers, and they all die off one after another, Jesus. Who's going to be the husband in heaven? And you know what Jesus does? Matthew 22, go back and read it. He says, y'all crazy. Y'all focusing on the wrong things. And, and by the way, just time out. I think often God would look at the church today, and he'd say, y'all crazy. Y'all focusing on the wrong thing. And then he said this. Oh, it's a great verse. Listen to this. Jesus replied, your mistake is that you don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. 
I read that yesterday morning. I thought, that's the church today. You go on social media or you turn on the TV and there's a lot of people spewing what they believe and they don't know the scriptures and they've neglected the power of God. So I, I don't want to do that. That's why I'm a lifetime learner and that's, that's why I'm in the Word every, every day. I mean, this year I'm reading through, I'm, I'm in Genesis and now and then I jump into the Gospels. I'm still in Matthew and, and then we go back. I'm in, finishing up Nehemiah now and then I go back over to Acts. It's a plan I'm in. But, but every time I read the Bible, I'm learning new because I, I don't want to be ignorant of the Scripture. I don't want just the way I grew up or, or the things somebody taught me in a class to be why I live out my faith. And let me tell you what I don't want to do. When I I travel the world and I see God opening the hearts and the minds of people in amazing ways. Or here in Temple Terrace, Florida, and I see God revealing himself to Muslims through a vision and a dream. I don't want to put my God in a box and say what he can't do. I don't want to neglect the power of God. And so I want to study, as the scripture says, to show myself approved. And so that's what we're going to do today. 1 Corinthians 14 now, man, this church at Corinth, what a mess. I mean, can I just remind you who these jokers were that Paul's writing to? They had division in the church. All right, that's common even today. They had immorality. One guy having an affair with like a stepmother. They were divorcing and remarrying in a rampant way and had all kind of sexual sin. Listen to this unholy, ungodly practice. They were getting drunk on the communion wine. And then they were eat up with pride. They were pointing out celebrity pastors and saying, this guy's better than that guy. And so it hadn't formulated this way. It's kind of like today where you just, you have your flavor of the week. And so you just church hop because you, you're not going to stick somewhere strong. You're, you're going to hear the guy that's, or the music, or, or whatever. And so it's kind of interesting in it when you hear folks like me say, we need to go back to the early church. Well, this early church was messed up. Let's not be like the church at Corinth. So here's what I want to do. I want us to pray and ask God to speak on this subject to us from this passage. Do you believe God still speaks today? Yeah. So let's ask that he would open our ears, our hearts, that he would free us from distractions. I mean, this is kind of a teaching message. You're going to be wanting to jot down some notes and follow along. And some of it's going to be pushed back to you. You're going to say, I don't know. Is that what I believe? And, and so we need, we need to be receptive to what God is saying to us. And then when I end my prayer, I want us to pray together the Lord's Prayer, if you know it, the model prayer. Because I think that has some real relevance too, too what we're going to talk about today. So let's pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for the gift of this day. It's a day that you've made. It's cold here in Florida, but we rejoice nonetheless, and we're glad in it. And God, all our lives, you've been faithful, even as we battle illness and go through this disease that is rampant upon this earth. As we face the trials and the challenges. You've been faithful. You're a good God. Oh, we love you, Jesus. But Lord, that does not neglect our need of you. We need you in our lives. We need our faith to come alive and to be awakened within us. And your church needs that globally, Lord. It's a sleeping giant. It needs revival. So let it begin here. Speak today. 
Give us ears and eyes and hearts and minds that are receptive to your message. And Lord, just push this messenger out of the way. God, I, I really desire that. I know, my, I know my weakness, my sinfulness, my lacking. So let the words I say and the thoughts I think in these moments be of you. And, and then, Lord, we, we need life change, so help us to walk away different. Lord, I pray for that person that doesn't know you. I pray that even in this kind of unusual topic for our Sunday morning, that the gospel would be clear and that someone would come into a relationship with you. Draw them to you, Holy Spirit, today. And ultimately, we just want to grow in godliness. So Jesus, teach us more of you. Teach us even to pray as you taught your disciples when you prayed. Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. And all God's people said, amen. 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 We've been talking about spiritual gifts, so let me just remind you of how we defined that term. Spiritual gifts are divine or God-given abilities that enable a follower of Christ to serve and to minister for the glory of God. So we believe that every Christ follower gets these gifts, not all the same, we don't get them in the, the same order, in the same way, but every Christ follower at your spiritual birth, you're, you're given gifts that allow you to, to follow Christ in such a way that you can serve and minister for His glory. And, and yet we've discovered that for a lot of Christ followers, the, the only logical explanation of how the church is failing globally is that a lot of Christ followers have never unwrapped their gifts. Your heavenly Father has given you things that make an impact in your life and in His kingdom. And, and yet some of you, you're, you've not unwrapped your gifts. You're, you're a consumer, but you're not a distributor. You're not involved. A friend of mine came up to me at the end of last service and he, he handed me a gift, and I'm always, I'm kind of embarrassed in those moments, so I, I quickly put that in my pocket, but I, I ran over between the services to uh, my office, and I pulled it out, and man, I love it. I mean, and, and, and I'm going to tell him again and again, because, you know, it's a generous gift, and, and that's what God's done for us, and, and yet for some, your, your gifts are still wrapped. And so we need to unwrap them. And when you unwrap your, your gift, life's more enjoyable. You're more fulfilled. You, you're, you're living out your faith. And I, I'm just telling you, guys, a lifetime around the church, a lot of you, you're not living out your faith. And the, the people even in your home or around you, they, they don't know that it's real. And, and part of it's because you're not tapping into what he's given you. Because when you unwrap your gift, not only is life more enjoyable, but the church is always edified. It's making a difference. It's built up. And so in a season when literally around the world, the, the church has been weakened by division and, and by a virus and, and by the hatred that's out there, 
man, we need to be built up. We need folks like you to unwrap your gift because when you unwrap your gift, Jesus is always exalted. You're pointing others to him. People are beginning to understand what's most important to you. And, and that's why in 1 Corinthians 12 and 13 and 14, Paul is, is talking to this messed up church in Corinth about their spiritual gifts. Now, some of you just had a light bulb go off because you heard me say 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 13 and 1 Corinthians 14, and you're thinking, wait a second, I know that. I know 1 Corinthians 13. What do we call that? The love chapter. And, and some of you, you, you thought God gave us 1 Corinthians 13 so the preacher would have something to say at a wedding. He could read this beautiful passage on love, and, and yet that's not the context. The context was to a messed up church who had gotten prideful, and some people were saying, my gift is better than your gift, and you should wish you had my gift, and boy, I'm praying for you that one day you get this gift. And Paul would say, I don't care what you have. If you don't have love, it's meaningless. It's pointless. And that's how he begins chapter 14. Look at verse 1. Follow the way of love. So again, I'm just going to tell you as we embark on this journey, Follow the way of love. Follow the way of love, church. Grow in your faith. Understand the scriptures. And then be able to express that, to be able to give a defense of your faith. But always do that in the context of love. And as you walk away today, ask God to help you as much as anything else. Follow the way of love. And eagerly desire spiritual gifts. So you, you should say, God, help me to know how you've gifted me. Help me unwrap the gifts that you've given me so that I, I can serve you. I desire to serve you. And then he says, especially the gift of prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries with his spirit. But everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I'd rather you have prophecy. He who prophesies is greater than one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets. So that, here it is again, the church might be edified. Now, uh, let me give you a disclaimer, kind of like my mom did on that 20-minute drive. This is not intended to answer every question you have on this subject. This is not an exhaustive or conclusive conversation. There are very large books written on this topic. And there are seminary classes in which the whole class is taught this topic for a semester. No, this is to give you a 30,000-foot view and to help you understand some things. I was in college when I, I first heard of the story of the blind men and the elephant. There's a poem that describes it. It begins this way. It was six men of Indostan to learning much inclined who went to see the elephant, though all of them were blind, that each by observation might satisfy his mind. And so I remember in this philosophy class in college, I'm saying that's kind of how we come to the world. We, we're coming with our own understanding of truth. Because what happened is that one of the blind men kind of leaned up against the elephant's uh, torso and he thought, man, this is a nice wall. And an, another one of the blind men kind of ran into the elephant's tusk and he thought, whoa, that's a sharp spear. And then another one of the blind men felt that... Uh, 
that big, what's it called, trunk <laughs> of the elephant. And he said, now that's a huge snake. And another one of the blind men felt the tail of the elephant and said, that's a, uh, that's a strong rope. Another one of the blind men leaned against one of the legs and said, now that's a tall tree. All of them seeing the same elephant coming out in a different way. That poem ends with these words. And so these men of Indistan disputed loud and long, each in his own opinion, exceeding stiff and strong, though each of them was partly in the right and all were in the wrong. What I don't want us to do is to get in the wrong. There are going to be some different ways that you might look at these passages of Scripture. That's why this is one of those open-handed issues. But I'm going to do my best from a 30,000-foot view to help you maybe walk through this in a way rather than avoid it since it deals with this important topic in our faith. So Paul begins in chapter 14 by addressing two specific gifts. Do you remember what they were? Prophecy and tongue. So let me begin by reminding you in the Scripture, prophecy is used in two different ways. In the Old Testament, primarily, it's, it's used as foretelling telling what is going to happen. So the Old Testament prophet, you didn't have the Bible, the Old Testament prophet would get a revelation from God. He would stand before the people and says, thus saith the Lord. And then if it came true, he was a prophet of God. If it didn't come true, guess what? He was a false prophet. And he was taken to the outskirts of town and stoned because it's not a good thing to be a false prophet. So in the New Testament, we begin to see prophecy take on an additional, somewhat different function. And that was just telling forth what God has already revealed. So you would have these New Testament prophets that are just proclaiming the truth of Scripture. So in a very real sense, that's what we're doing today. And every time you hear preaching or teaching of the Word of God, it's prophetic in that it's proclaiming this is what the Lord has said. But we know this. We know that no prophet today, as we have Scripture, is ever going to say something that's from God and yet contrary to God's Word, right? So if someone says they have a word of prophecy over you, what you're going to do is test it against God's Word. Because that's a very dangerous thing. Listen to how the book ends, Revelation chapter 22. I warn everyone who hears the word of prophecy in this book. If anyone adds anything to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes words away from this book of prophecy, God will take away from him his share in the tree of life in the holy city, which are described in this book. So God's word makes clear the revelation of God that is active and living is here in his word. God's not going to give you a new word that is in any way contrary to what he's already given us in Scripture. God may speak into your, your life in a way that illumines the Scripture and directs you, but God, and certainly no preacher or teacher, is going to prophesy in that way over your lives. What about this gift of tongues? Well, tongues is first mentioned in Acts chapter 2. Remember, the, the 120 followers of Jesus Christ were gathered. They were in the Word, they were worshiping, and they were praying. And they were doing what Jesus had told them to do. Wait for the Holy Spirit. And so we today still recognize that at Pentecost, 
the Holy Spirit came down. This is what it says in Acts 2 and verse 3. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to the rest on each of them. And all of them, say all of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Why? Why did that happen? Let's keep reading. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked. Are not these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? So the first time you see tongues in Scripture, it's very clear. This is a gift given by the Holy Spirit for the purpose of presenting the good news of Jesus Christ to people so that they could understand in their language. And we see that again about three times in the book of Acts. That in that early church, God showed up in this way always to a group of people who needed to understand in their native language the good news of Jesus Christ. And then you have 1 Corinthians. And some would say that what you experience in 1 Corinthians are two different kinds of speaking in tongues. So let me address that. They would say, for example, that one may be something that we would refer to as ecstatic utterances. In other words, words that really have no human meaning. They're just syllables that are are put together that people are, are speaking. Do we know for sure? I, I, don't, I don't know that we do. I, I tend to think that's not the case. Let me tell you why. In the New Testament and in the, the Greek language in general, there were only two words that were used that we have in Scripture as tongues. One is the word glossa. We get the word glossary from it. And it was always used to describe an actual language. The other one, we get the word dialect from. And guess what it spoke to? A language. It was never used to describe an unintelligible tongue that didn't have meaning to someone. So I I tend to think that Paul was probably addressing this same kind of tongues as in Acts. I don't know for sure, but that's kind of where I am. Another thing people would say, well, what about a private prayer language? What about praying in tongues just you and God? And, And the truth is, Paul mentioned something that we'll read in just a moment that talks about when you're praying. Could be referencing that. I'm not going to speak conclusively. But there is something that strikes me. There was a group of guys. They were a big deal to us. The disciples. (laughs) And they had a great teacher. Now here's a a question class. Who was their teacher? Oh, you got it right. So one day they went to Jesus And Pastor Zach, what did they ask Jesus? Lord, would you teach us to, would you teach us to pray? And guess what he did? He didn't say, no, y'all come back later. He did. And what did he do? That's what we just prayed, that model prayer, the Lord's Prayer. Now, if, just go with me, if the end all of prayer, the pinnacle of prayer, the thing everybody wants to experience or needs to experience in prayer was to pray in a private prayer language. Do you think Jesus would have mentioned that anywhere? Just a thought. 
So uh, let's just continue and, and, and see what does the scripture actually say? Not what we think or what we've been taught. Because there are some systems of theology that say none of this exists today. There's a name for that. It's called cessationist. It says that these gifts, like what he's mentioned in, in chapter 14, prophecy and tongues, that they don't exist today. And it's drawn from 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8. Look at what it says. Love never fails. You've heard that part. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they'll be stilled. Where there's knowledge, it'll pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. And so there's this whole system of theology that says when the perfection comes is referring to the canonized scripture, the Bible as we have it today. And I'm a person who I call myself an inheritance. I believe the Bible's without error. I believe the Bible is perfect. It's without falsehood. So this is the perfect word of God. But I don't think that's what Paul was talking about in 1 Corinthians 13. I think he's talking about when Jesus comes back, Amen. the return of Christ. In fact, as I read through and go to 1 Corinthians 15, it's talking about the resurrection and the victory that we have because of Jesus and the, the promise we have of him coming back. And so, man, it, it's hard for me to fall into that category. So you're just asking and I'm just telling. So I would be what would be called a, a continualist or a continuationist, which simply says this, there's a God. But I'm just Paul. So I, I'm not going to put God in a box and tell him what he can't do anymore. I'm going to describe what Scripture says. And, and I have to tell you, I, I've traveled the world. But I haven't seen what I believe to be scripturally modeled here in 1 Corinthians 14. It doesn't mean it doesn't exist. There's a lot of things I haven't seen personally. My friend Elizabeth is in this service and, and she spent many, many years in Africa. And I'm just telling you, our missionaries on the field where, where there's not a, an availability through the gospel like there is here in our land, we see God working in ways there just like he did in the New Testament. We see miracles much more abounding than we see in our daily life. I think it speaks to the simple faith that many of us have grown cold in. So let's go back to Corinth. Paul was really saying to the church at Corinth, when, when you face an issue like this, and you can use this in any spiritual principle, when you face an issue like this, you really have two questions. The first question is, what's the point? The, the second question is, what's the purpose? And they're, they're close, but they're a little different. So let's first take that one, what's the point? I want you to look in verse 7, chapter 14. Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as the, the flute or the harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes. All right? Raise your hand if you've ever played any kind of musical instrument. All right? Oh, good. That's about half this group. And so you've got an understanding that these notes that you're playing, they, they have a distinct sound, and that's how you know what you're experiencing it. And, and so it says, again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will be ready for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak in intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you're saying? You'll just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world. So again, this kind of is why I tend to believe Paul's referencing, you know, that tongues that was an understandable language, yet none of them is without meaning. If I then do not grasp the meaning of, 
of what someone is saying, I'm a foreigner to the speaker, and he's a foreigner to me. So it is with you. Since you're eager to have spiritual gifts, try to excel in gifts that build up the church. What's the point? What's the point? What's the point? Well, he's saying, you know, why would God give you something that really doesn't have any point? <laughs> um, did you know that there are people that can play a bugle? And really just from the way they adjust the air they're blowing in and the formation of their lips, they can make distinct sounds. Like this one. Listen to this. See, you, you knew that. You knew that was charged. How'd you know that? Because it's distinct. You knew what it meant. Well, what about this one? Mm. You know what that is? Reveille, it means wake up! I've made a, 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 I believe the Spirit inspired me to make a decision. I'm going to start playing that three times in the middle of every message. <laughs> no, when, when I worked at a summer camp, someone would literally every morning uh, play that to wake up the two or 300 campers that we would have there. And, and sometimes they would think they're funny. I was a counselor and, and they would come and they would play it right outside my window. I still have heart problems as a result of that. I mean, but how do I know what it means? Because it has a distinct sound. So what's the point? You should always, when you see something in church, when you see something spiritually, okay, what is, what, what's God up to here? What's the meaning behind this? And that leads us to the purpose. So what's the purpose? He makes it very clear in verse 12. The purpose is to build up the church. So if this is drawing attention to you, if this is pointing to you, if this is making everybody look at you, then you got the wrong purpose. The purpose is to build up the church. So, let's just look at some of the things that it's, it says. First of all, it's clear there's no biblical mandate that everyone should desire this gift. Paul says, I, I would rather you have some of these other things in verse 5. He says in verses 18 and 19, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. In other words, think about this now. He's, he's aside from Jesus, the greatest missionary who ever lived. So, he's traveled the known world. And I think he's implying that the Holy Spirit gave him the ability wherever he went to effectively communicate the gospel, whether he knew the language or not. He says, I've spoken tongues more than all of you, but in the church, I would rather you speak five intelligible words than to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. So if this were something that, man, you just got to have, that doesn't make sense, right? Because Paul says, I'd rather you say five things that make sense than 10,000 things I can't understand. Interesting. All right. There is a biblical mandate, however, that we should desire the things that edify the church. Because he says, you should want these spiritual gifts. So you should be saying, God, how can I make a difference in this church, in this community, in your world? We also see that there's a clear mandate that you can't edify the church and push away unbelievers. So it can't be so strange that those people that don't know Jesus don't want to be a part of it. And man, I've struggled with that today because I got my hair is cut on Friday. And to my knowledge, the, the person who cuts my hair is not a follower of Christ. And, and I was thinking about this subject, just preparing, letting it, 
you know, marinate in my heart throughout the week. And I was thinking, you know, if, if she came on Sunday, what in the world is she going to think about this message? And, and maybe that's where you are. Maybe you don't have that relationship with Christ and you think, why are we talking about this? And, and we're talking about it because it's in the scripture. But when we worship, we want to be sensitive to you. Right? And it talks about that. Um, look at what it says in verse 23. So if, if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and some who do not understand or some unbelievers come in, will they not say, you're out of your mind. You have flipped your lid. You people have gone crazy. He, he's saying, even though we are worshiping a God that they do not know, we don't want to worship in a way that pushes them away. And by the way, this is a whole other subject, but this is why we're sensitive to styles of music, and this is why you know, we don't get caught up in our dress, and, and we, we want you to have a sense of comfort as you come into worship because we recognize we exist for those who aren't here yet. I'm going to say that again because I promise you, if... At least four of you don't amen when I say that. I'm going to jump off the stage and come sit and amen myself. So we exist for those who aren't here yet. I mean, I want you to understand that. that that's what's so crazy about the, the modern church culture where we just move around when we experience something we don't like. Hmm. Well, you can't edify the church if you're pushing unbelievers away. If, if a gift is not edifying the church... Paul's saying it's counterfeit. It's, con it's, it's confused. Look at verse 33. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the saints. And then he gives us something very specific. So if tongues is spoken in public, there must be an interpreter. Listen to what it says in verse 26. What then shall we say, brothers, when you come together, everyone has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation or a tongue or an interpretation. All of this must be done for the strengthening of the church. There's the Why? If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or three at most should speak one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there's no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. Friends, I want you to understand something with the love of God as my backdrop. That's why in our church, if we're having a moving time of worship, or maybe I get passionate, or... Pastor Zach's been here, and he's passionate, or Andrew's passionate, he's leading us. And, man, it's very moving, and, and we are shouting praise to God. If, if we hear something that is unintelligible, we're going to quickly listen, okay? God, we don't want to put you in a box. Is there, did, did you gift somebody else with the ability to explain that to us? And, and if that's not there, we're going to gently and graciously come to you and say, hey, let's be careful. Let's not be disruptive. That's not being mean to you. That's trying to be scripturally accurate. Why? Because if we want to build up the church, we've got to be scripturally accurate. We, we can't be doing things that are, are clearly contrary to God's words. Because if tongues become divisive or disruptive, we know it's not coming from God. Look at verse 40. Everything should be done. Everything should be done in a fitting and an orderly way. So, well, there's so much we could say on this, but let me just give you a few takeaways to, to be very, very practical. Because some of you are thinking, this is way more than I wanted to know. So what do you need to take away? Here you go. God's a God of mystery, but he's not a God of confusion. 
And that's true on this issue, but it's also true in your life. You know that, right? If, if you feel confused, if things are chaotic, I can tell you that's not coming from God. God is a God of peace. And so when you're making decisions and you're trying to decide, is this of God? You've got to determine, am, am I experiencing the peace of God? But he is a God of mystery. That's why he says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither your ways my way, declares the Lord. Remember that from Isaiah 55? He goes on to say, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. So it's a balance, right? I'm embracing the mystery, but I'm pushing aside any confusion and chaos. Now, how do I do that? Well, I, I think Paul gives us some great instruction in 1 Thessalonians. Listen to this verse, 1 Thessalonians 5, 19. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. That's pretty strong. How do you remember that if you learned it in the King James? Don't quench the Holy Spirit of God. So, man, I don't want to be that church person that's just saying... Put your hands down. Don't, don't you know that's not a, You're too loud. Don't say amen that much. I, mean, I, I, wanna, I don't want to quench the Spirit, so what do I do? I don't treat prophecies with contempt, but I test everything. All right? This is to you, Christ follower. How do you test things? You've got the Scriptures. I'm just telling you, if we're going to... We're going to survive in our crazy world. If you're a Christ follower, you better be learning the scriptures. You better be digging in because you're going to hear things on the uh, podcast, or, or you're going to turn into a TV, tune into a TV preacher. Or you might go and visit a church, and you think, "Now wait a second, is that what they're saying, or is that what Scripture teaches?" That's why in the messages that you hear here, I'm covering you up with Scripture every time we preach. Because I, I want you to know that God's word has the power, not Paul's word. There is a God, but I'm just Paul. God's a God of mystery, but he's not a God of confusion. Secondly, God is a God of freedom, but he's not a God of disorder. How many times in this passage did he say, do things orderly? Do not be chaotic. So, we want to embrace the freedom of the Spirit. And we have to be careful, Right? So it's kind of like the same time you, you hear people say, well, Christians shouldn't judge somebody. Well, no, if, if, if there is sinfulness, it's, it's okay to call out sinfulness. But if, if we're not talking about sinfulness, yeah, then let someone walk in the freedom of the Lord. Because uh, 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 17 says, Now the Lord is a spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we, who are unveiled faces, all reflect God's glory, the Lord's glory. We're being transformed into His likeness with an ever-increasing glory. So this morning, I read in Oswald Chambers, my utmost far as highest, he, he said, our lives are like a mirror. When people look at us, they should see the glory of God. So if you're a Christ follower and people are looking at you and they don't see that, something has tarnished the face of the mirror. You're blocking that. So don't do that. <laughs> Walk in freedom. Reflect the glory of God. Thirdly, 
God gives you gifts to build his church, not to build your ego. <laughs> so occasionally somebody has said to me, Brother Paul, I'm praying for you. Maybe that one day you'll get this. And I just hear that. And, you know, honestly, I'm always going to try to be gracious. I sometimes fail too often. But I, so I'll, I'll probably say, thank you, man. I need the prayer. You need the practice. Um, but there's something about that kind of sentiment that acts like you've arrived at something that I've not got. And I'm just telling you, when I surrendered myself to Jesus Christ, repenting of my sins, trusting in his death, burial, and resurrection for my salvation, I got everything I needed. And so did you. So did you, Christ follower. But some of you, you receive that gift of salvation, and then you receive the gift of the Spirit, and then you receive the gifts of the Spirit, and a lot of them are just wrapped up. You're not using them. It doesn't make you a bad person, but it, it makes you a little useless in the body of Christ. And that's not God's intent. You know, this could be a shoebox. I read something this week that kind of hurt my feelings because I think it applies to me sometimes. I read that the overwhelming majority of people that buy running shoes... Never run. <laughs> just making a fashion statement. And I've been guilty of that. I walk into the New Balance store and I say, hey, now which one of these are the best? What you going to do? What are you using? Well, I'm you know, the truth, uh, God's given you gifts that you've, you've not unwrapped. You're not using. And there's a lot of us that need to Unwrap those gifts, lace up the shoes, and get in the race. Because when you do, your life's going to be better. The church is going to be built up. And you'll point more people to Jesus. I'm looking out at the church I love right now. You don't see what I see, but I could, I could take time just going around. I'm looking out at John. I'm just telling you some folks that by God's grace began to use their gifts. And they almost can't shut up about what Jesus is doing in their lives. Be that person. Let's pray together. Jesus, help us. We need you in this moment. We give ourselves to you, Lord. You've given us so much. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed. If you're a Christ follower, I just beg you, do a quick evaluation. Have you unwrapped those gifts? Are you using what God's given you for his glory? Are you miserable in your faith? You're an unhappy person? You're negative? You're grumpy? You know, probably you got something out of whack in this area of gifting. Get it right. He's given you everything you need. In his word, he says you've got everything you need pertaining to life and godliness. Don't miss out because you're not taking advantage of what he's given. But now there's somebody that I prayed for today that is hearing these words, and I hope you're still awake. I'm not going to play Reveille again right now, but I hope you're awake. 
Because really what you need today is that gift of salvation. You need to begin a relationship with Jesus. Here's the truth. God loves you so much that he sent his son Jesus. Jesus died because you deserve death for your sin just like I did. Jesus died in your place. And he lives today and, and he offers you forgiveness. Forgiveness of your sin. Just think of that. That's what got Jesus in the most trouble. Not the healing, not the miracles he did. But he would go around telling people your sins are forgiving. <laughs> And that's what he's saying to you today. Your, your sins can be forgiven. He's already done everything necessary, but you've got to receive the gift. There's got to be a moment, and the Holy Spirit's drawing somebody today. Maybe you'd cry out to God with a prayer like this. You'd just say, Jesus, I need you. Just you and him. Jesus, I need you. I'm a sinner. I need to be forgiven. I believe you died for me. You're alive right now. I receive your forgiveness. You're the Lord. You're my master. I'm ready to follow you. From this day on, things are different. I tell him thank you. If you just prayed that prayer, that's the most important thing any person can ever do. Don't let anyone ever tell you otherwise. In a minute, I'm going to come back and tell you how you can let us know you prayed that prayer so Lord here we are giving ourselves to you we're an offering available ready to be used even in this moment thank you Lord we give ourselves to you